this morning when we were praying before the service, Nick prayed that, um, that God has plans and dreams for us this morning. And I just had a picture of, you know, in the olden days when we used to have to tune TVs. And do you remember, you used to have to literally go through and tune into the channel. And I just had this picture that, you know, what we are coming into church from today, we've been tuned into a channel a channel that is speaking fear and chaos and panic and uncertainty. But that God has a channel for us to tune into this morning, that he has plans and dreams for us this morning. And so I just want to pray for us as we begin that we would tune in to the channel that God is on this morning, not that we are ignorant of what's going on, but that we would tune in to God today. So would you pray with me just as we begin? Father, I thank you for that just um, reminder this morning. Thank you that we do believe that you have plans and dreams for us today. Thank you that you have truth that you want us to receive today. Thank you that you have transformation that you want to go on inside our hearts today. And so we just take these moments now to tune in to your channel. I pray, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you... um, Yeah, would you do that? Well, we don't even know how to do that. God, would you do that? That we would hear you clearly today. I pray that you'd use me this morning. Help me to share all that you've laid on my heart and make our hearts receptive, God, to what you want us to hear today. Lord, we, um, yeah, we say, would you speak? Would you encourage us today? Would you spur us on today in Jesus' name? Amen. How many of you go to the gym Oh, some very shy gym goers in here. There's not many of you. I don't go to the gym, but I was in Sydney last week staying with my sister, and my sister and her husband go to a CrossFit gym, and they had a session on one morning that was a suspension class, and um, you're allowed to go even if you haven't had like all the briefings and trainings, you're allowed to go to a suspension class, and so they asked if I wanted to go. Um, so this is what a suspension class looks like. It's like body weight exercises, but you're attached to straps from the ceiling. And it was a 50-minute class, which was quite intimidating to begin with. Um, it is ridiculous. Can I just give you fair warning? Do not ever do this class if you want to walk again. Oh, my goodness, it was so hard. I worked my muscles so hard, they were wobbly. Like, I went home to have breakfast, and I could barely lift my mug to drink my coffee. Every muscle in my body was exhausted. And then over the next couple of days, my main difficulty was generally just moving. And I was at colour conference and, you know, trying to worship God. And I'm like, oh, that's so sore. It was so sore. But one of the exercises we had to do in the class was this one. And um, I, like, I do a Move It Mama thing at home, which is just like an online class that I do at home. And we have to do this kind of crunch exercise. But my feet aren't normally attached to straps that are suspended from the ceiling. And... Um, So the first challenge is getting your feet in the straps. You know, you can imagine this is quite an unusual position to be in. So I found that challenging enough. I think that could have been the exercise, to be honest. But it wasn't the exercise, because I then had to move my knees in and out and in and out. And I can't even remember how many reps we had to do, but I do remember it was far more reps than my muscles wanted to do. 
And so my arms were wobbling and my abs were burning and my legs were burning. And then the instructor kept coming over to correct my posture. <laughs> Have you ever had that at the gym? Any of you that go to the gym, you know, if you've got an instructor helping you, you know, just move your arms slightly over here. You're not quite working the right muscles there. Just change your posture slightly. So um, I always remember this at school as well, doing press-ups. You always get told, put your hands under your shoulders. Well, it's really hard to tell when you're the person doing the press-up, isn't it? Like, I think my hands are under my shoulders, but then someone comes, so doing this. I thought my hands were under my shoulders, but she came and told me apparently my hands weren't under my shoulders, and I needed to move them. Then I was looking at the ground as I'm doing it. I think probably just subconsciously longing to lie down. <laughs> and she came over and said, lift your head up. You need to lift your head up. You know, in the gym, posture is important, isn't it? She was just protecting me. She was making sure that my posture was correct so that I didn't injure myself, so that I was exercising the right muscles, so I was doing things in the right way. And as, I think as well as in the gym, posture is important in many areas of life, isn't it? Posture is important when we're just walking around. Posture is important when we sit at a desk and work all day. Posture is important when you lift something heavy. Like there are so many places where posture is important. And the thing I want us to spend this morning exploring is what these chapters of Nehemiah tell us about the posture we must take on as we follow Jesus. Because just like the wrong posture in a CrossFit class has a significant effect, so the posture we have as we follow Jesus has a significant impact on our experience and the fullness of life that we experience as we follow him. And in fact, even if you don't follow Jesus, even if you're not sure what you believe about this morning, actually the posture you have as you live your life will affect your life experience. It will affect the way you experience this world. And and I think how timely this is as we look at the world right now and maybe we see a posture of fear and we see a posture of panic and we see, um, yeah, we see all that's going on, you know, panic buying, people staying at home. I was on a train in Sydney and someone blew their nose and the person next to me got up and walked to the next carriage. This is the posture we're seeing right now. It's a posture of isolation and it's a dangerous posture. And I believe that in the midst of this chaos and in the midst of a worldwide pandemic, there's a better posture that we can take on than the posture of fear that we're seeing. And so we're going we're to look at the people in Nehemiah and we're going to learn something from their posture as they go from a people who were not following God and as they turn to be a people who come back to God. And um, we've been teaching through the book of Nehemiah for the last few weeks. And so just to recap briefly, the book of Nehemiah starts with Nehemiah being told about the state of Jerusalem and its people. Jerusalem was God's holy city. It was the place where God's people were meant to live. And Nehemiah is told that the walls were in ruins and the people were in great trouble and disgrace. And so far we've seen Nehemiah lead the people to rebuild the walls. But the people were still in trouble and disgrace. And in the chapter Simon spoke from last week, he was in chapter 8, um, the people were beginning to come back to God. You know, they'd never stopped being God's people, but they were far from living in the reality of it. They were still God's people, but because of disobedience, they were not experiencing any of the fullness of being his people. 
And today we're looking at a long passage. We're looking at two chapters of Nehemiah, chapter 9 and chapter 10. And so we're just going to dip in and out as we try and gain some insight into the posture that we need to take as we follow God well. I think we get to observe changes, the changes that needed to take place for this people as they changed their course from a people who were in trouble and disgrace to a people who would walk again in the freedom and fullness of God. And so I think like the CrossFit instructor who was telling me on that day to move my hands and move my head, we're going to consider um, some observations about maybe some changes that we need to make in our posture before God this morning. So um, I'm going to get straight into it. The first posture that we're going to look at is listen. Looking at your ears. You'll have to excuse my slides this morning, but I thought maybe at least you might remember them. But the turning point for God's people in Nehemiah was when they discovered the book of the law. And Simon talked a lot about that last week. One of the reasons they had got themselves into the mess that they were in was because they had gradually stopped listening to what God was saying. They got to the point where they were ignorant of what was even wrong. And it was like as they discovered the book of the law, their eyes were opened to the situation that they found themselves in. And most of chapter 9 is an account of all that God had done for them as they worshipped him. But intertwined in chapter 9 with all that God had done is descriptions of all that they now realised they had done wrong. It's like an account of God in the midst of all that they had done. I just want to read through some verses as we go through chapter 9 that give us a picture of the state that they were in. So it starts in verse 14 where the people started with Moses. We looked at this in Exodus last year where Moses was hearing directly from God the laws and commands from God and passing them on to the people. They had their ears wide open. They were listening to what God said. But then in Verse 17, it says, they refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles God performed among them. In verse 26, it says, they killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. That's some extreme not listening to God there, isn't it? Killing the people who are telling them what God says. Verse 29, it says, they refused to listen. Verse 30, it says, by your spirit you warned them through your prophets, yet they paid no attention. Verse 34 says, our kings, our leaders, our priests and our ancestors did not follow your law. They did not pay attention to your commands or the statutes you warned them to keep. So there's a change going on here now as the people have discovered the book of God's law again. And I think the change is that their posture has changed to begin to listen again. And so last week in chapter 8, let me just read to you the first three verses of chapter 8 that you looked at with Simon last week. It says, All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. What a change. What a change in posture. 
as they begun to listen. And then at the start of chapter 9, in verse 3, it says, They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. That's like three hours they stood there and listened to the book of the law. And they spent another quarter in confession and in worshipping the Lord their God. So there's a dramatic change for these people. And the trigger for the change was a posture change. It was a posture change to listen up and turn their ears and tune in to what God was saying, to tune into God's word. And Simon, Simon last week talked about, um, as they listened, how the words of the law acted like a mirror. Like as they listened into God's word, it revealed things in their lives that needed to change. I don't know if you've ever experienced that thing where somebody kind of tries to discreetly let you know you've got something on your face. Have you ever had that? And the first thing is panic, like, oh my goodness, how long have I had it on my face and how many people haven't told me about this? And then there's that awkward exchange where they're like, no, no, to the right a bit and you're trying to like, no, no, other cheek and you're trying to do it. It's so hard, isn't it, when you can't see what's wrong. But the, it's like God's law, God's word is like bringing a mirror up where suddenly you can see clearly. You can see exactly what's wrong. You can see exactly what needs to change. It becomes clear. And for these people, they didn't even realize any change was needed until they listened to God's word. And once God's word revealed their need to change, it was also God's word that guided them as to how. It's interesting to me because there's a story that you find in the New Testament about Jesus in Luke chapter 2, verses 46 to 47. Um, Mary and Joseph were Jesus' parents and they had lost him, which is a big deal, I think, because they realized that Jesus was the Son of God. So it's a bit poor form <laughs> to lose him. It was only little. And uh, in verse 46 to 47 it says this after three days they found him in the temple courts sitting among the teachers listening to them and asking them questions everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers even Jesus the son of God had figured this posture out he knew he needed to listen in to God's word And Simon laboured this last week. He challenged you last week to be reading some of the Bible every day. He gave heaps of options to make that achievable. If you missed it last week, listen to it. If you need more ideas, go back to the Follow series last year and listen to the Bible-based life one. You know, we need to get God's word into our lives. And so how's that going for you? What are you listening to? What are your ears tuned into? Are you seeking out what God is saying through the Bible? And if you are listening, are you listening with an intention to put it into practice? Do we need to adjust our posture this morning? That's the first instruction. The second instruction around our posture is to confess. It's our mouth. Um, There you go. We're adding to the picture here. I'm just going to read the first three verses again of chapter 9. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. 
They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. And they spent another quarter in confession and in worshipping the Lord their God. Confession's an interesting one, isn't it? I think it's something we don't hear a lot about outside of the Catholic Church, maybe. When we think of confession, we might think of going to visit a priest in a box, in a room. And I think especially in a time where society tells us that if it feels right, then it is right. You see, when you take away the concept of absolute truth, and when it comes down to what feels right, then there's no need for confession. Because actually, who can tell me that what I'm doing is even wrong? And so I think this leads people towards a victim mindset where if what I feel is right, then I can't be wrong. And so what I'm experiencing must be someone else's fault. This must be due to what they're doing or what they're saying. And so we, we have ended up in this place where our goal is to preserve our innocence, where it's actually a really dangerous thing to admit that we're wrong or in error. And if that is the place that we're in, then why would we need to confess anything? And yet the posture we see from God's people in this passage is a million miles from what I've just described. See, their sin bothered them and they were owning it. They were fasting. They were wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. They'd realized that they weren't living as God wanted them to and it grieved them. You know, fasting and wearing sackcloth, it was a public sign of sorrow and repentance. They were demonstrating that they had humbled themselves. They were owning their behavior. They were owning their sin. So you can't be proud when you go out dressed in sackcloth with ashes on your head. And so after standing and hearing God's law for three hours, it says they spent the next three hours in confession in this posture of surrender this posture of humility this posture of sorrow at the state that they were in and the purpose of that confession it wasn't to beat themselves up and to wallow in how bad they had been but acknowledging what is wrong is essential to being able to move forward and to change if we don't know what's wrong it's very difficult to change to what's right isn't it and I just want to talk briefly about two really obvious benefits to confession. The first one is confessing to God. I think when we confess to God, it's a really powerful posture. Because when, like these people, when we confess to God, it puts us in a position of surrender. You see, when we say yes to following Jesus, we give control over to him. But I don't know about you, I find probably daily I take back control I say ah I think I might know how to do that better I think I'm going to try it my own way and we mess it up don't we and that's what the people had found here when we take control we get it wrong and so confession is taking a posture that allows us to give him control again it's a posture that says I'm wrong I'm sorry I make myself low again and I put you in control again that's why confession is a powerful posture But I think also confessing to one another is another part of this because confessing to one another makes us accountable to change. 
You know, I don't know if you've ever tried to change your behaviour, maybe tried to um, start eating more healthily or start a new exercise regime. I've tried that without telling anyone. <laughs> it's never been very successful because the first obstacle that comes along, well, no one will know that that's what I was meant to be doing and so it falls by the wayside, doesn't it? But if I tell Simon what I'm doing, then I know he's going to ask me, oh, I thought you were going to go for a run today or I thought you were going to do this. You know, when, when people know what you're trying to do, not only can they keep you accountable to it, but they can encourage you and pray for you in it as well. And so this confession is a powerful posture as we confess to God and we take on a posture of surrender as we confess to one another and gain accountability and support and encouragement from each other. You know, when these people were confronted with the mirror, that is God's word, they were gutted about what they saw. But Nehemiah called them to respond with joy because it was an invitation to change. It was an invitation to not stay as they were, but to move forward. Remember Simon handed out chocolate last week. All of you who didn't come are jealous now. He gave chocolate to every person. You should come every week to church because you never know what will happen. But the point he was making was, there's hope in this. You know, when we see our sin and we confess, that's not a place of sorrow that we need to stay into. It's a place of hope because there's an invitation to change. But if you don't first acknowledge what's wrong, you won't be able to change. And so it's not about guilt and shame. It's a posture thing. It's a posture of surrender. It's an intention to change. And so ask yourself this morning, how often do you confess what is wrong in your life to God? How often do you confess to trusted people around you so that they can pray for you and encourage you and keep you accountable to what you believe God is asking you to change in your life? The third instruction around posture is worship. It's to do with our eyes and our hearts. So in that confession passage, it also says for those three hours where they confessed, they also worshipped. Because when you have a turning from that comes with confession, there's inevitably a turning to. And I think that's why confession and worship go together so well, because worship takes your eyes and your attention off of yourself and onto the one who empowers you to change. So what is worship? I wonder, as you ask yourself that question, I wonder how many of you think of what we've done here this morning of songs and singing. And maybe, so then it's limited to church for you or limited to listening to music that is worship. And maybe for some of you, you hate singing. And so you've basically discounted yourself from worshipping God. I want us to look at what we see about worship in this passage today. In, in verse 5... It says, and the Levites, I'm not going to read all their names, you can figure those out, said, stand up and praise the Lord your God who is from everlasting to everlasting. And then what follows in chapter 9 is almost an entire chapter of worship. It was almost an entire chapter of their turning their eyes and their hearts towards God. And there's two parts that I notice. One part is that they spoke about who God is And the other part is they spoke about what God had done for them. And I think a massive part of worship is reminding ourselves of that truth. Like God already knows that stuff about himself. And um, 
I believe God deserves worship. He is worthy of worship, but I think a massive part of worship is us reminding ourselves about who God is and what he's done. Um, Sarah taught us as a management team a couple of years ago um, when she used to run her lightning process business. And as part of the training, she did this really powerful exercise with us that has stuck with me ever since then. And she got us to look around the room and to just notice everything. I don't know what the color she said was, maybe red. Look around the room and notice everything that was red. And we had like 30 seconds to look around the room at everything that was red. And then she asked us to close our eyes and then tell her what we'd seen that was red. And we reeled things off like it was quite easy. And when we'd finished saying all the things that were red, she said, now don't open your eyes, tell me everything that's green. Well, that was really hard. (laughs) And we maybe said one or two things that were green, and then she asked us to open our eyes again. And what struck me was the predominant colour in the room was green. But because we had been told to look for what was red, we only saw what was red. And I think this is why worship is powerful for us. This is why a posture of worship is powerful for us. Because what we focus on determines our experience of life. And if we can posture ourselves to focus on who God is and what he has done, that is a life-giving posture. That is a freedom-giving posture. That is a fulfilling posture. That is a posture that is in contrast with the posture that we see the world taking on right now. And this is a posture that will speak to people. This is a posture that will give hope to people. This is a posture that is powerful as we find ourselves in the situations that we do right now. You know, it's not that we act like everything is fine. It's not that we're ignorant of what is going on. It's not that we write over the pain and the suffering that is happening. But a worshipping posture will keep us from being overcome with fear. A worshipping posture will keep our eyes fixed on the one who is able and who is powerful and who cared enough about humanity to send his son to die on a cross so that we could be put back into right relationship with him. Our God is a God who cares deeply for us. He sees what is happening right now. And as we posture ourselves in a worship posture, it will keep us in a secure place in these times. And so what do you love about him? And what has he done for you? I did this exercise this week as I was away in Sydney. I sat with a notebook and I asked myself, what do I love about Jesus? And I wrote, and I wrote pages And then I ask myself, and what has he done for you? Maybe you need to do that. Maybe you need to take some time to ask yourself those questions. You know, one of the things that challenges this posture of worship is hardship and suffering. And that the the people of God here, they were in a place, a hard place. This was not a joyous place for them. But I think there's power when we step in into an uncomfortable place to worship God. I think there's a special meeting of God that happens there. And it reminded me of in 1 Corinthians 11:23. It says the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, "This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me." And I'm so challenged by that, that if Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, could could give thanks to God, then there is not a situation or a circumstance or a scenario where we cannot 
find a posture of worship to give thanks to God. And sometimes that will cost us. There's a story in Matthew of a woman who anointed Jesus with expensive perfume. And it was so extravagant that the disciples criticized her for wasting money. But Jesus' reaction was this. Um, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. Did you know that God considers worshipping people a beautiful thing? When he sees you worship, especially when it costs you, especially in the midst of hardship, he says, that is a beautiful thing. That is a beautiful thing. Do you need to correct your posture? And then finally, the last posture is a posture of change. It's our feet. It's our action. Chapter 938 says, In view of all of this, we are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing, and our leaders, our Levites, and our priests are affixing their seals to it, and they took an oath to follow the law of God. In order to experience the life of freedom and fullness that Jesus saved you for, you have to put it into action. You have to decide to go in a new direction. You know, sin means that you miss out. They realized that in chapter 9, verse 36 to 37, it says, But see, we are slaves today, slaves in the land you gave our ancestors so they could eat its fruit and the other good things it produces. Because of our sins, its abundant harvest goes to the kings you have placed over us. They rule over our bodies and our cattle as they please. We are in great distress. They never stopped being God's people, but their sin meant they missed out. They missed out on what God had for them. And this isn't a salvation issue. Like if you have surrendered your life to Jesus, if like he has forgiven you for all time, once and for all, your salvation is secure. But what we choose to do on this earth as we live this life affects our experience. Do you know Jesus didn't just die on a cross so that you could know that when you die you go to heaven. Jesus died on a cross for you so that you could know God in this life too. He died on a cross for you so that you could know the freedom and the fullness and the hope and the security and the blessing of living this life with God. God's desire is that you would know what it is to be filled by the Spirit, to be walking in the power of the Spirit. God's desire is for, for you is that you would know what it is to be used by him to affect other people, to bring life and hope into other people's worlds. God's desire is that what Jesus did on the cross would affect today. It's not just about what happens when you die. So they did something about it. They put a plan into place. And I love how, like, there's a, like just verse after verse after verse that lists all the people that signed this agreement. I think it speaks of the power of doing this in community. That when we make a decision to change, when we gather other people around us, there's power in that. There's encouragement in that. There's accountability in that. It's why that whatever happens with this COVID-19, whatever happens in terms of our ability to meet together, you know, sometimes community can't be physical, but we have to make sure that we're a people that are committed to community relationally. 
that we have to be a people who are looking out for each other and looking out for the people in our, in our um, neighbourhoods, the people who are not part of church, the people who don't yet know Jesus. Oh. And then my last thing to say on this is from verse 30 of chapter 10 to the end, they list just all the things that they want to change. Like we promise not to give our daughters in marriage to the peoples around us. They, like, they go through and list, these are the things we want to change. And I wonder how often we feel convicted by God and our prayer is, oh, God, I want to change. And then we just hope. We just hope that something will happen. But I think what they show here is that actually we have a part to play in this change. That Yeah, I know there have been times when I've felt convicted and I've prayed, God, I want to change. And miraculously, in an instant, God has changed my heart. I believe that the Holy Spirit does that. But I believe there are other times that we have to plan and prepare to change. That we have to identify these are the things I want to see different in my life. That prayer is a massive part of that, but a part of it as well is me planning how am I going to do that. You know, I can't just hope that I will read my Bible more. I have to plan, when am I going to do that? How is that going to happen for me? And I think that's a massive part of this posture of change, that we would do it together and that we would plan to change. You know, I wonder for you this morning which parts of your posture the Holy Spirit has just been whispering to your heart about. I guarantee that there is none of us that is following Jesus right now with a perfect posture. I guarantee it. And as I thought this morning, what am I challenged about? I think there's things in every one of these that I'm challenged about this morning. But we're going to finish with some worship. And so if the team could come up. And I just want to explain to you um, what this response is going to look like. And I've changed it a little bit because of COVID-19. Because I was conscious that when worship is played, playing and I pray for someone I get really close to their face and you might not want me to get close to your face today in fact we probably would encourage you not to get close to each other's faces today so what I've done is I've prepared some prayer slips some response slips and what I want you to do this morning is is make a physical response I believe this is powerful you know we've been talking about posture today if you feel like God is challenging you this morning to change your posture in some way, I would encourage you to come to the front and get one of these slips and write it down. And it might be a prayer request or it might just be an accountability thing. You might just be saying, this is what I feel God is challenging me to do today. And you can write your name on it or you can not write your name on it. That's all good. But what I'm committing to do this morning is when we finish the service, someone's going to pray over these any slips that you fill in, we're going to lift them to God and we're going to believe that God is bigger than, you know, what we normally... He's bigger than um, being restricted to us praying for each other in front of each other. Like, he sees these slips of paper, so we believe that God is going to move in these moments. But as well, I'm going to take these home and I want to commit to pray for each of you that fill one of these in this week because I think this is important. We want to posture ourselves as people who would follow Jesus and experience all that he has for us in this life and for you if you don't know Jesus if your response this morning is to say actually I want to say yes to following you for the first time come and write it on one of these pieces of paper we want to pray for you this morning and so Isaac and Jordan would you lead us in worship there's pens down the front here please come 
write your response on the paper. There's baskets to put it in and then we will pray at the end. Bless you.